Hello, and welcome back to the India Podcast from Santa Barbara Independent, giving you what's happening in Santa Barbara. I'm Molly McEnany, the host of The Indie, and I'm here this week with Eileen Horn to discuss the co-authorship of her book, The Devil You Know. So hi, Eileen. Thanks very much for having me, Molly. At a glance for our listeners, can you tell me a bit about your new book? It's written as a series of stories, and it, it, it invites readers to step inside uh, the treatment room with seriously violent people and a forensic psychotherapist, who is my co-author, Dr. Gwen Adsett. So you go through a lot of darker topics in the book. Can you tell me a bit about what that means in regard to the psychoanalysis and mental awareness that you discuss in the book? I I used to work in film and television, so I describe it almost like a series of short films where you're introduced to an individual, you hear their story, and you watch as Gwen gives them treatment, gives them therapy. In the first chapter, it's it's a serial killer. It's somebody who's killed four people. So you you go on a journey with him and his therapist to discover why he did what he did and whether there's any hope that he can change. In another chapter, we have a stalker. In another chapter, we have a child sex abuser and so on. So it might sound terribly depressing and terribly dark. And of course, that is a word that comes up when people talk about it. But actually, it's also a hopeful book. Um, For me, it's a book as much about um, solutions as about problems, because we can all sit around and watch true crime shows on Netflix, as I'm sure we all do, um, including me. And we can all say, oh, that's so terrible. Those people, they're so different from us. Um, The book is called The Devil You Know, because it's really about the fact that we are all more alike than we are different. So this has been a real journey of discovery for me, because it's not my background background. Um, but by interviewing Gwen and working with her to write this book and tell these stories, you know, I was reading the story of the woman who is a, you know, really seriously disturbed stalker who caused real harm to the man she was obsessed with. And her childhood in many ways was like yours and mine, um, not growing up in deprivation or with drug addicts or something, you know, very melodramatic. Sometimes the things that happen to people are subtle. Uh, Gwen talks a lot to me about benign neglect, for example, which can trigger, if it's combined with other factors, um, serious violence later in life. Scary, I know. <laughs> but, the, but the hope here, the, the light in the darkness, which we're really determined to bring to people in this book, is that there are interventions that can make all the difference. And in reading about those interventions, I hope that the reader will learn that their fears may not be justified, really. For example, a really basic thing that I discovered through doing this book with Gwen was that a murderer is not murderous (laughs) towards everyone. Um, Murder is 99% of the time, except in war, a relational act. So it's someone they know maybe someone in their family. It's so very rare that it's the crazy guy in the alleyway who pulls you in and knifes you or the shooter. I mean, that does happen, unfortunately, in America quite a bit. But, um, you know, the vast majority of homicide is relational. And so somebody who's killed someone isn't necessarily then murderous towards everybody they meet. You know, a question Gwen is always asked um, when she's interviewed is, Uh, aren't you afraid to sit in a room with these people, in a small room with them? I mean, do you have a gun on you? So many people have asked her, how did you protect yourself? She's like, they're not interested in killing me. You know, they're interested in killing the people that they've killed, which was fascinating for me to discover. So how did you seek to balance this dichotomy between fear and hope in your portrayal of these individuals? That's a great question. 
in all honesty, I wish I could tell you that I constructed it and planned it and balanced it because I'm so brilliant or something. But in fact, it just emerges naturally from the work. So yes, there are harrowing moments and fearful things that these people uncover, much of which they've blocked because it was too painful to remember maybe about their childhood or something or about the act that they committed. But then they start to see themselves different, differently. And there's this incredible, I, I want to call it like a thrill of hope that goes through you when you read those sections, I hope. Um, and that's what I'm hearing from readers. In fact, um, our English publisher, it came out in England last month, Faber, have a wonderful habit of choosing a couple of books that they're bringing out each year and giving everyone in the company the day off. And they all go home and they read the book and then they have a book club with the authors. So you see them all. And of course, it was on Zoom. And so we saw, you know, 40 people or something on this Zoom. And they asked us a bunch of questions like a book club would. And at the end, I said, oh, can I ask you guys a question? If you had to sum up this book in a word, what, what word would you use? And this very young woman, you know, obviously a very junior person in the organization, very timidly put up her hand. And, and she said, um, I know this is going to sound weird, but I just felt hopeful and sort of encouraged. And then the next person in the next box went, yeah, me too. And someone else said, yeah, hope, yeah, hope. And it was this incredible chorus of voices all saying, yeah, I felt hope. So I think it's an uplifting book that starts from a dark place and moves into the light. So you grew up right here in Santa Barbara. What in your formative years led you to writing and I guess to reading crime fiction? Hmm. Again, a good question. Yes, I know I don't sound like I come from, you know, downtown Galita, um, but I do. I was born here and lived here for the first 11 years of my life and was always a bookworm. My maiden name was Blau and my nickname at school was Bookworm Blau. So shout out to all the nasty people that gave me that nickname um, and four eyes because I wore glasses. <laughs> anyway, uh all I ever wanted to do was read for a living. I didn't want to write. I wanted to read. When I was a kid, I was just obsessed with reading, which is, of course, the best possible preparation for being a writer. I say that, but um, the reason I came back to Santa Barbara was that my parents were very ill. And when my father passed away, I was going through his books and I found, you know, those little blank books you give kids to draw in or whatever. I found my first book, which I had obviously written when I was about eight years old. And it had a little funny story with illustrations for my dad in it. And at the back, I'd actually drawn, you know, the inside back cover of a book. I'd drawn a picture of myself and I'd written, you know, Eileen Blau, you know, is eight years old and she goes to Foothill School and she's going to grow up and be a famous writer. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So I would like to ask you what the most pivotal chapter is to you then. I know it's difficult to pick a favorite, but maybe what was the most challenging to write and why? Yeah, so just to explain a little bit to your listeners, it would be legally and ethically impossible for Gwen to say, yeah, so I worked with this guy whose name was Mr. X and he was a serial killer. You'll know him from reading about him in the paper. Uh, and here's his most private thoughts that he shared with me. That would be wrong in every way and illegal. So what, and that's why she had never done this in the past. She's one of Britain's most famous uh, forensic psychiatrists um, and she's known all over the world, um, but she never attempted to do this before because she couldn't think how to get over that hurdle. And I offered to help her because we were good friends and because I'm a storyteller. And I said, look, tell me about 10 serial killers that you've worked with or, you know, maybe supervised a colleague with or something. And I will sort of weave them together and make you know this mosaic portrait, or maybe the best way to describe it is like a jigsaw puzzle of the person with a piece here and a piece there. 
and we'll give him a name and we'll give him a physical description, which is mine, so that I know that any of these people, it will not resemble him. But all of the exchange in therapy will be based on your direct experience. So it's nonfiction, it's clinically utterly accurate, but it is, um, let's say, creative nonfiction in order to convey the psychological truth of the situation. I will be honest with you, the hardest chapter to write was the one about child sex abuse. It's not that I think pedophiles are, you know, all criminals, because they're not, <laughs> another learning curve, or that they're the most evil. I think in our society, we immediately nominate them as the most evil. I mean, everyone in this book had some serious problems and did terrible things to different people. But that chapter was hard for me to write as a mother. And because, for a surprising reason, because I felt sorry for him. And I really did not expect that. And he was based on a number of men Gwen had worked with as a group therapist. Can you imagine sitting in a group of 10 or 15 men who have abused their own children? And so she talked extensively to me. That was probably the darkest time of the writing to just take all that in. I'm not trained to take that stuff in and, and sort of then piece it together. It contains true facts from you know, a number of those stories. Unfortunately, the stories are all very much the same, which made the mosaic easier to compose. They just follow a really predictable pattern. And in fact, as we say in that chapter, a really predictable script, what they say about their victims, what they say about themselves. That was hard because it was devastatingly sad. And it ends sadly, which not all of the chapters do. So for example, there's a chapter about a woman who has Munchausen's by proxy, as it used to be called. It's really called factitious illness, but it's where you pretend your child has a sickness and it can be quite abusive to the child because you're constantly um, taking them to hospital to have interventions they don't need. And you would think as a mother, that would also be really difficult to read. But what was amazing was that when she did finally get some help, she completely transformed and changed her life. So that was one of those very hopeful chapters that I had in contrast as a parent. You know, it was interesting to go through both of those experiences. And for people more reticent to read, more faint of heart, why would you actually suggest that they pick up the book and read it? I think it's, again, a, a great question. First of all, because as the title suggests from the old proverb, I think it's an Irish proverb, better the devil you know, better that we know about this and know why. It's much easier to stay in your armchair and, you know, watch some British period drama written from a Jane Austen novel and, you know, read some lighthearted, you know, comic books or something. And I, and I get that and I respect that. But for those who are interested in how the mind works and who are curious about how someone can go off the rails in this way or how somebody starts out much like yourself and then takes a very dark direction in life and how they maybe pull themselves back on track, I think it's fascinating. I also know that there are many readers out there who read crime fiction, which is very uh, exploitative and lurid and frankly, psychologically wrong and damaging, stigmatizing mental illness, assuming that people can't change, assuming that all serial killers, for example, are malevolent geniuses, <laughs> and they're really not. And so I hope that any reader is curious enough to want to explore a book like this. If it's too dark as a base subject matter, that's absolutely fine with me. But I think for the curious reader and the readers who reads crime fiction or watches crime on TV, it will provide an additional layer of insight that I don't think they're going to get any other way. It's a really groundbreaking 
book. And I don't say that because I co-wrote it. I say that because of my brilliant friend who is at the heart of the book. And is there anything interesting that you would like to share about how the book is already beginning to be received by readers? I think it's possible to say, why bother with these people? And that's something that a number of people have said to me as I've been interviewed about the book in England. You know, why does she bother? They're such terrible people. They really should just be locked up and throw away the key. And that's a very American attitude. The justice system here is very retributive, whereas in England, it's more based on rehabilitation. And I say, why bother? Because first of all, if for some reason I were to go off the rails, just something tweaked me and sent me over the edge or someone I loved got involved in, in you know, a, a, an act of violence, I would want someone like Gwen there to listen to them and help them. But also because only through greater understanding are we going to come to a safer world. We're on a mission to make, you know, one mind at a time to make uh, the world a bit of a safer place. And we do that only through understanding each other. Well, thank you so much, Eileen, for speaking to me about your book, The Devil You Know. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Molly. Eileen Horn will be discussing her book, The Devil You Know, with our senior editor, Matt Ketman, at a virtual panel sponsored by Chaucer's Books on July 27th at 7 p.m. If you'd like to register for that event, head to chaucersbooks.com slash event. Once again, I'm Molly McEnany. Tune in next week for another episode.